Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Welcome back to another solo session, Business Done Differently. I am fired up for this episode because it has been a game-changing revelation, an aha moment for myself and for our business. And, you know, the last four solo sessions, I've talked about the importance of vision, about how to build, you know, a brand, how to disrupt yourself, how to innovate without resources. And I realized that as important as all of those elements are into building a successful business and doing it differently, the who, the people are the most important. And it took a book to really wow me, to change my whole mindset on everything. And it is who, not how by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And Ben Hardy, we had on an episode, I think it was season two, about willpower doesn't work. But this book is a game changer. And I'm going to talk today about the concept that uh, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy share, and also how it has been really relevant in everything that we've done with the bananas, and also some of our biggest failures, um, even before the bananas with some of our previous teams, and how the who wasn't the main focus. And I really believe that this may be the best question to achieve more and grow faster. And the who, not how concept. And the question that hit me like a ton of bricks was simple. When you have a goal to do something, it's not how do I achieve this goal? It's who can help me achieve this? As Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy says, who creates results? How creates problems? So today, I'm going to break down this concept. I'm going to talk about it in regards to the bananas, but also in regards to the new book that I've talked about the last two episodes, the new Fans First Savannah Bananas book. I'm really practically putting the who into play here. Because when you have a big goal, and for many people, it may be writing a book, it may be you know, becoming a professional speaker, it may be hitting this you know, milestone with your business. And often we can say, all right, we want to do this. How do we do this? And the first question needs to be who. And I have struggled with this for 15 years. So I'm excited to share this concept today because it is an absolute game changer. If you want to do business done differently, if you want to accomplish more than you ever have, you have to find the who. And it sounds so obvious, but I'm going to share some of the concepts that Dan and Ben break down and how we've been able to do this and how we start with that after we establish that vision. So that is the goal today. I'm going to break it down, talk about the vision, talk about my story, talk about the book, and then maybe some ideas on how having a bigger vision, how we all can do this. And again, I think people, the behind the scenes here is I record these, you know, not only for the listeners, but I record these for myself. And I think often when we write, when we talk things out, it helps provide clarity. And all of us, I think, are looking for clarity. Uh, We try to keep things very simple here with the bananas and it's, you know, make baseball fun. And how do we do that as fans first, entertain always? But sometimes that simple concept needs some, you know, it needs a formula, needs a process, needs some steps to accomplish that. And that is what we're going to break down today. So I want to get into it right away. First, just sharing again the book, Who, Not How by Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And again, in one of the earlier episodes, I referenced Jim Collins. In his newest book, he actually references this concept a little bit, but not as simply as Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And he opens his new book, Beyond Entrepreneurship, B2.0. Jim Collins says, great vision without great people is irrelevant. And Bill Gates says, if we were to take our 20 best people away, I tell you that Microsoft would become a pretty important company. 
And that is so true. And it's obvious, but how do you do it? And that's not the right question. The question is, who do you need to do it? So a great quote that I said from the book was, if you're courageous enough to pursue big goals, you'll need who's to help you. And what is that level of the vision you have for yourself? Where is your vision so small that you're doing everything by yourself? And I think that's a really important concept because if you're not thinking very big with your vision, that's going to hold you back because you might be thinking, I have to do it all myself. I have to figure out a way to do this. How am I going to do this as an entrepreneur? It's the wrong question. Who are we going to get to do this? So the breakdown as well, this does start with who, what I've realized still Everything starts with a vision because if you say, I need to find people, well, where is your vision? So it starts with a vision and the vision is not necessarily a whole huge process. The vision is just that dream, that big goal for the future that you're targeting, that you're going after. And Dan Sullivan calls, he does an impact filter and it writes about, here's what success looks like. Here's why this project is so important for us. Here's what's at stake if it fails and here's what we gain if we succeed. And if you break down that big vision, which on one of our first episodes of season four, I break down the whole vision of the bananas. We spent the summer going over the vision inspired, the vision impact leader by Michael Hyatt. We went through that book and then we broke it down and developed an approach for our vision. And it was a five page vision script. And then we started thinking about who are the people that we need to attract to this vision. So who's are attracted to a vision? If you share a big vision, people want to be a part of it. Now, every step of our process in hiring, we lead with the vision. When someone starts with us, we go over the vision, 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 and where we're going and what we're doing. And then we can start attracting those people. So I want to break it down into my story where I failed to have vision, failed to have a goal for who's and the struggles that came with it. And for me, it started in Gastonia. I was 23 years old, taking over the team and it was a struggle, as I've shared in previous podcasts. And there was only $268 in the bank account, only 200 fans coming to the game. And at 23, I didn't have any of vision. My vision was have fun. My vision was, you know, just do the best job I can. I wasn't really thinking about the future of the team. I was just trying to figure out how to survive it first and learning on the way. And at 23 years old and never had any experience with a baseball team before, uh, it was a huge learning curve. And basically, it was just throw things, you know, against the board and see what sticks. It was just try everything. And, you know, we just tested ideas, tested concepts, and it started to work. And obviously it went from 200 fans a game to 1,000 to 1,500 to 2,000 to ultimately fourth in the country in attendance. And it really climbed. But the vision was still small at that point because the reality is the only vision was get a little bit better than last year. And, (laughs) you know, that's not a real... uh, inspiring vision. It was, you know, I'd see what we did for numbers. I'd see what we did for fans. And I'd say, all right, well, what if we increase by 5,000 fans, 10,000 fans? What if we increase by $100,000 in revenue? And just ask that question. And again, I was still learning. And that wasn't inspiring to anybody. You know, the reality is we were doing something pretty cool, but it was just my own kind of growth and my own competitiveness to be better. That's what it was. And the Grizzlies did grow and we had a lot of success. But then as soon as we had a bigger vision, and that was to go to Savannah and build something special and stopped focusing on as much on Gastonia, what happened was ultimately the biggest failure of leadership that I've had in my professional career. And what happened was I didn't invest time in building and developing the who's, the right people to carry on that team to be successful. And when Emily and I sold it in 2018, within two years, the team was gone. 
We are building a brand new stadium because of all the success. I was leading the charge. We were building a brand new stadium. It was getting built. And ultimately, the city chose not to work with the former team, the Grizzlies, and chose another team. And if that's not a definition of failure of leadership, I don't know what is. And I look at it as not only not finding a vision, but not investing and developing and bringing in the right who's. And because of that, the team no longer exists. And so I was more focused on what do I need to do? How do I need to do it? Not who needs to do it and not thinking long-term, playing a short-term game. You know, hey, Savannah's really big. We're having a family. We can't run two teams. We're going to sell the Grizzlies. And, you know, we believe that it will be successful. But it was ultimately successful because of Emily and I and everything that we put in and not the who's that we developed. And the team is no longer exists. And so I share that because that's a sad story. You know, even in my first book, Finding All Talks, I talk about the Grizzlies and the success and then it no longer exists. But it started with no vision and then not thinking about the right who's. It was just how will I figure this out? How will I get more people in the ballpark? How will I, at that point, sell more sponsorship? How will I create buzz and attention? How will I do everything? Which saying this out loud is exhausting. And yet I was young and had a lot of energy and we were able to make it happen. But it was, um, I didn't build a business bigger than myself and bigger than Emily. It was us. And that's very sad. And we still didn't learn when we actually took on another opportunity, which I never talk about in Martinsville, Virginia. We went to Martinsville, Virginia because the team was falling apart. It was run by the city. The numbers, they were only bringing in total $100,000 total revenue. They had 14 group tickets sold, 14. They had one birthday party the year before, 28 season ticket holders. Uh, It was a disaster. But me and Emily saw, hey, they really need help. We put together a proposal where, you know, we would be compensated and we'd have some big upside on the success and the profits. And we said, all right, let's take this on. We said, ah, no vision other than, hey, it's another team. It's just more. We'll take this on and we'll make it successful. And so in 2013, we went to Martinsville. There was no real vision. And ultimately, there was actually no plan on who would run the team. How silly were we? We were like, oh, we'll just take it and we'll figure it out. We had no idea who. So we literally got the contract. And I think it was in the either the fall of 2012. We come in, we go to the ballpark, and it's just us. And we have no general manager, no president, nobody to lead the team. And we start taking meetings. And all of a sudden, it starts spreading us even more. Then obviously, we can't run Gastonia as well. We're trying to run Martinsville. We're trying to figure it out. And so then at that point, we're like, we got to find someone. And it sounds silly. Obviously, you're going to go there, find a GM or find someone to run it. Well, we just saw the opportunity first. We said, no, this is a no-brainer opportunity. It's a win-win. We can't lose. And we didn't find the right who. In three years, we had three different general managers. And, you know, three different general managers. It's because we had to scramble to find someone. We didn't share the vision. We didn't pump the vision. It was a very tough market, a challenging market, extremely high unemployment. You know, it was difficult. We made the team successful. We obviously increased revenue dramatically. We increased fans dramatically. And, you know, it was ultimately successful. But after three years, we wanted out and we were fortunate to be able to sell it back to the Coastal Plain League and get out. But, you know, that team is, you know, just there was no big vision and there were no who's. And again, it's just kind of struggling right now, not doing much. It hasn't really grown. It's fallen back because there was no who. And that was really game-changing for us because we saw what's happening in Gastonia. We saw what's happening in Martinsville. And then we saw this opportunity in Savannah. We're like, Savannah, this big market, you know, 14 million tourists, a beautiful old stadium. We're like, all right, this is where we want to go. And the old Jesse and Emily would just be like, let's do it and just jump into it. And as entrepreneurs, we know we look for those opportunities like, yeah, we can do it. We'll figure it out. And most often we find a way. I did a behavioral assessment the other day and it's like, 
yeah, you're the guy that jumps out of a plane and builds his wings on the way down, but somehow you're like a cat. You always land on your feet. Well, I may land on my feet, but I'll tell you, (laughs) it's a struggle to get there. So we went to Savannah. We're like, all right, let's change the whole approach. This who, not how concept. Let's really think about it. And we hadn't even read the book yet, but we made some decisions that changed everything. And we said, we are not going to go to Savannah unless we have the right person, the right leader to take over and run this team. And we went to someone we trust, Jared Orden. We met with him. We met with his wife. We took them out to dinner and we said, this is what we want to do. And to be honest, we might not go there if someone like you is not interested. And because we wanted that person to not, that we knew how they did things. And Jared worked with us in Gastonia, unbelievable work ethic, unbelievable dedication and unbelievable care, just truly, truly cares. And luckily he and his wife made that decision. So that was number one. All right, they're in. Then we said, all right, this is a big market. We're going to have to sell a lot more tickets. We're going to have to figure out how to do it. And this was a big thing that I haven't talked a lot about, but we said, who would be the best person or the best group we could work with to help us sell an outrageous amount of tickets? Because we did a good job in Gastonia, but we didn't know all of the techniques and all of the, you know, the strategy to make it happen. And so we looked at the best in the business. And the best in the business at the time and still today was John Spolstra and Steve DeLay. And they were SRO partners and they were the ones, John wrote Marketing Outrageously. He was a podcast, uh, was a guest on the podcast earlier this season. And we said, well, what if they helped us figure this out? What if it wasn't us figuring out how do we sell out every game? What if they helped us do it? And so we proposed an idea to them and said, hey, this could be a huge upside for you if you're interested. And we proposed it and went back and forth, did some negotiating And ultimately, Emily and I were willing to give up some percentage of ownership, at least to start, that could be bought back, and a a big percentage of profits. Because we realized that if they helped us get kicked off and launch successfully, it would be a big return at the end and really get our company going the right way. And it was a big investment. When you look at it now, (laughs) you know, fast forward after, you know, obviously they're no longer involved and, you know, we're still friends, we're still close, we still talk all the time. But after three years, the partnership was over. And they had a very big exit, a very big profit share that they had over three years. And it was huge for them. But it may have been even bigger for us. And I think some people with a small vision would say, oh my God, you paid that much over three years? Yes, we did. And that impact was game-changing because I didn't know how to sell out every ballpark. Our president, Jared, didn't know how to sell out the ballpark. Literally no one in college summer baseball was selling out the ballpark every night. Minor league baseball, the only teams that ever done it, most of them were ones that worked with Steve DeLay and John Spolster. So we said, find the best, invest in the best, present something that could really be game changing and find that who. And, you know, the experience and the marketing and the crazy videos, we developed that mindset, but it started with how do we get people just to come to our ballpark first? And we found that who. And that may have been one of the biggest game changers to start our company. We had Jared, we had Steve and John helping us. When we only sold two tickets in the first three months, we had to really dig in. And I was talking to Steve every single day. And John was sending in you know, marketing copy and ideas every single day because they wanted to be successful. It was, it was only an upside for them if we actually were successful. So it worked out in a great collaboration to work together. And I think that's the biggest point that I think about when I read these books. It's stop competing, start collaborating. And who can you collaborate with and not worry about ego or who gets the credit or who doesn't get the credit? Start collaborating. And so we collaborated and started making this Savannah what it was after the initial failures. And when you have a big vision, our big vision coming into Savannah was, can we have an all-inclusive ballpark? 
Can we sell out the ballpark? Can we be all in on fans first? Can we make baseball fun and take the show to another level? This was the big vision. And can we save this community in Savannah, Georgia? Can we save it? Because baseball had failed for 90 years. Can we do it? Big vision. Okay. Sell out the ballpark. Don't know how to do that completely. We had pretty good success in, in Gastonia, but not even close to what we needed. All right. Talk to Steve and John Spoles. All right. All-inclusive ballpark. No one's ever done this with every single ticket, all-inclusive. Who do we talk to that? And so I'll share that. We went into a food vendor to try to figure out that, but make baseball fun. All in and fans first. Okay. All right. We have an idea on that, but who else can we learn from? We started asking those questions. So first started with the vision, the president that we trust and Jared, ticket sales, Steve and John, then the food and Beth. How are we going to do this? And we have no idea how to serve at this ballpark and do all I can eat. No one was doing it. So we went to the conference center in Savannah. And so we talked to them, the conference center. They have big events. They know how to serve food and bev. And it was so interesting. We approached them on this idea because we was like, we don't have anyone to do this. We need your help. So we were willing to give up you know, a good percentage of what we were doing so they could help us do that. And we were working out deals and they actually helped host a launch party for us at the conference center back in November 2015. And they supplied all the food and drinks for free. It was like, all right, this is a good, you know, they're trying to woo us. We're trying to woo them. And then they just said no out of nowhere. They were like, we're not interested. And we were like, oh no, okay. And they said they weren't interested. So it gets into the fall, the winter, going into the spring. We still have no one. We don't know who can run this. So we actually, Coach's Corner, a sports bar near us that does pretty good volume. You know, they have events and concerts. And we started to know the owner, John Henderson. And we said, I actually went to him. I said, John, do you know anyone that can help us achieve this goal? And he said, all right, let me think about it. And he comes back the next day. He goes, I can do it. And that's, a, I'm going to give you a side there. Always ask people that may be a candidate, who do you think can do this? Because often they will make it their own vision. They say, I want to do this. And I've done this with numerous people. We said, who do you think would be good for this position? And often they put their hand in the ring and say they want to do it. And I wasn't actually proposing that. I was just going to John for help. And he decided, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And he put his blood, sweat, and tears that first summer into serving mass volumes. He brought his own cookers in to help us. He was invested. And we couldn't have done that all-inclusive without him. And because of him, he started it for us. But he still didn't know how to do it completely. No one was doing it. So at the first game, when all-inclusive was literally <laughs> six-inning waits for food, people would get in line in the first inning, and they wouldn't get their food to the seventh inning. It was a disaster. We had no idea. Even though we had someone with restaurant experience, he didn't know how to do it. So what do we do? Steve knew someone, Steve DeLay. He said, I know someone that's a food consultant. We called that food consultant, invested in them to come down to the next game as soon as they get there and just watch and give us suggestions. And the biggest suggestion he said, he goes, you know, what's happened is you have all the burgers, all the hot dogs, all the chicken sandwiches, the first thing they get. So what they're doing is they're piling up on that. They're just getting literally, they're filling their whole arms with burgers, hot dogs, and chicken sandwiches. So it's making you go through that food quick. He goes, put the drinks first, let them grab a water or a soda. So then they can't grab so many burgers and hot dogs. And then that'll make the line go faster. That one subtle change made a huge difference. It wasn't me, Jared, or Steve figuring out how do we do this. It was figuring out who can help us do this better. And that consultant who came in and we invested in, obviously, made a big game-changing move. And so that all of this started to come together. And it sounds so obvious, but often what we will do is we will lower our goals. We will make them smaller because we don't know how to do it. What if we make our goals bigger and find the who to do it? That's a different conversation. And I'll share another story with Savannah that was very interesting as well, was with our brand and our logo. 
And this went back and forth between the team as well, because I believed that we needed an unbelievable logo, something top of the line. We didn't have money. We were struggling. This was in the beginning with only two ticket sales. But I was like, guys, we can't go cheap on the logo. We need to find someone who's the best at doing this because this is our brand. This is going to represent us for many years. And if we're going with the Savannah Bananas, we better have a logo that looks good because we're going to get criticized for that name. And you know, we had proposals out for like a couple grand, a couple grand. But I found Studio Simon and Dan Simon, who actually had done already inanimate objects and done food item as logos. And I watched how he made the face really come to life. And, and I was like, this is the guy. It was an investment back then. I mean, it was $8,000. And some people say, oh, that's not a lot. Some people say that is a lot. We didn't have that, but we made that investment. And the first time after months of talking, we go back and forth and I shared him the vision, the vision. I said, I'll never forget this. He goes, you kept saying you want a badass banana. And I said, yes, I want a badass banana because I don't want people to think of soft. I want to think of like that banana is badass. And he had that as his mindset, badass banana, tropical colors, make it fun. And that was what he kept hearing from me over and over again. And he designed it. And the first time he designed it, most people go back and forth with sketches over and over again. He goes, most times, once I produce it, we'll be very close. And he showed it. And I backed up from the computer. I said, wow, we only made one change. We changed him from a lefty to a righty. That's all we did because we found the right who. And now I think back in merchandise as it has become over the years, multi-million dollars in, in revenue and fans all over the world wearing our gear. It was one of the best investments we had. I didn't have to figure out what does the logo look like. How do we get make this brand successful? Who do we hire? And then finally, Jim Collins talks about this a lot. He talks about who luck and having someone that not necessarily you're on a search for, but you come in touch with them, you come in contact with them and you find a spark, you see something and they become a part of it. It's who luck. And, you know, we had tremendous who luck our first season. And when you look at the brand, everyone sees all the videos and the TikToks and the YouTube and the Facebook videos. We just hired a photographer. We weren't smart enough to think we need to go all in on video. It was 2015, 2016. Video was obviously there, but it wasn't a huge thing for sports teams. It was highlights. And we brought in a photographer local from Georgia Southern. And he said, you know, I can also make videos. And Ben Sheffield did the first video and he was just unbelievably talented at it. And we saw that potential and we saw the music video Can't Stop the Peeling that got 200,000 views on Facebook and started taking off. And we immediately said, we're going to invest in this and became probably at that point, the only college summer baseball team and one of the few minor league teams to have a full-time videographer. And now that's grown as we have two or three on our team. But that happened because of who luck. I don't know how to make those videos. Our team doesn't know how to make those videos, but we found the right who to help build the brand and spread this even further. So I want to put that all in perspective. I know it's all about our story, but I challenge the listeners, the entrepreneurs, the business leaders here on this call to think about where is their vision? Where do they want to go and not get stressed by the hows. Just start writing about who. And then it just takes asking, reaching out, connecting, talking to people, trying to find the best and not being short-sighted on the investment that it costs, but thinking about the long-term benefit, even of what you will learn from that person. I've learned so much from, you know, Dan Simon and Ben Sheffield and, and uh, John Spolster and Steve DeLay that has paid for itself and then some. So that's it, how it comes to my story and the banana story and how we've grown that. And I'm going to bring it back to you in a second, but I just also want to go deep into the book concept because, you know, now we are a couple months into developing the new book, the second book and the first book from the Savannah Bananas. And the entire process has been built on who, not how. And it's ironic that Tucker Max, who I'm working with in Scribe, he was the one that helped author strategist, strategist, strategist. Anyways, yeah, one of those words. He was being into the strategy for who, not how. He helped 
all the connections of that book and make it happen. And, you know, he is who I went to for this book and scribe and scribe. I worked with the first book, book in a box, and now work with scribe again. And it's taken it to a whole nother level, uh, this book, because I had a vision. We want to share this fan's first story. We want to share about the Savannah Bananas experience. We want to share how anyone can break the rules and change the game and create an unforgettable experience. We want to share that. But I can't figure out how to do all that. So what is that investment worth and who do I need to do it? And I went to Tucker and over the last few years, we've talked about ideas back and forth. And Tucker Max, obviously, huge New York Times bestselling author. He's the founder of Scribe. It's amazing. And we bounce ideas back and forth. And, you know, we invested. We said, we're going to invest. And I'll be very upfront. It's a big investment. It is not 5, 10, 15, 20,000. You got to keep going up. It's substantial investment, but it is one of the best investments on what it can do for company, a brand, for connections, you name it. It, it is outrageously valuable. And so went to him and said, hey, here, we got this idea. I want to do a book, signed a deal. And then the process started. And he immediately got connected with, you know, publishing manager and producer and an editor. And it just kept going along on who was going to be helping us with this process. And, you know, I mean, from Casey and Kayla, they started the connection. All right, we're doing a unique book. We want to do it with all the fans, a part of it. It's not just one voice. And they started coming up with strategy, a timeline and what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, how we're going to be doing it. And then, you know, I got connected with Miles to talk about kind of how to think differently on the marketing strategy. And then Chaz, who's been, you know, the heartbeat for me, he's been everything. Chaz was my editor on Find Your Yellow Tux, and now he's been my editor on this one and my scribe. And literally, Chaz and I have been talking twice a week for a couple months now and just going over the ideas in the book and him sharing and bouncing back and forth. And he's putting it all together while we interview. It's not me. I will write things. I will share things. I'll send him, but he helps mold it all together. And, you know, this whole idea, this concept of this fan's first book about the bananas and the behind the scenes and how, you know, creating this fan experience is so important and the difference it makes. We said, well, we need to make this not just about us, but about all the fans and about other businesses. So it became this ultimate collaboration. And when I first reached out and sent out to all of our fans, I said, you know, what should the title of this book be? You know, here hundreds of people send in title suggestions, then said, who has a story? And even to this day, almost every other day, I get a new story from a fan about wanting to be in the book and stories that I never even heard of. I mean, just fascinating stories about things that have happened at this ballpark and the impact some of our team members that I didn't even know about have made on uh, you know the fans. It was game-changing. And so now all of a sudden, it's not just me figuring out how to write this book. It's now all of our fans. It's now all of our teammates. So literally our whole staff has all sent suggestions in and stories. And I've been on this interview process of literally interviewing our fans, interviewing our staff and teammates, and interviewing other business owners that have also done a lot of these fans-first techniques and, and seen the impact of it. And it has been eye-opening for me because as I get these all these interviews in, all I do is I send it to Scribe and they're going to help mold it into the book based on the outline that we've created together. And it has been unbelievable. And I'll tell you, I had a lot of uncertainty in the beginning and I went probably a year just, is this the right topic? Is this the right way to go? Where should I go with this? And they have helped so much and really make me feel you know, that I'm doing the right thing and just be able to jump on the phone and talk to someone and collaborate and you know, one challenge we were really having is we got all these titles, 200 to 300 title ideas, but we don't know what's the best. So I talked to Scribe. I said, hey, 
who can help with this? And they said, oh, we have a title guru, <laughs> a title expert. And so they literally connect me with Eric and we have a title jam session for 30 minutes. And we're going over all the things that I mean that are important to the bananas, to us, to our fans. And we're sharing this all over some of the suggestions from before. And all of a sudden, two hours later, he sends a list of 20 amazing subtitles and titles to this book. And it was like, wow, it was it fired me up so much. And then I sent them all to our team. And our team is like, ooh, I like these. And we're seeing the same three that just keep popping up, keep popping up. And then we're going to throw that out to our fans. And again, like the big daunting thing of writing a book now becomes little steps that I don't have to figure out the answer to everything. We have a team, all not at Scribe, but in addition to our fans, our teammates, everyone's a part of this. And I think that's a deep thing on on what we do and why we do and how all of us do. We all want to feel a part of something. We all want to feel we're doing something bigger than ourselves. We all want to feel like we belong to something. And that's a big concept and just, I think, people being happy and being successful. And so this big daunting thing of a book, I literally said, let's find the right who and then continue to find the right who's along the way. And all of a sudden, by January of 2022, February of 2022, we are going to have a book that I think is going to make a huge impact because it wasn't just myself or someone else trying to figure it out. It was a bunch of people coming together to collaborate on a bigger vision of the impact of what this book can do and how to get a lot of people involved in making that, sharing their stories and making a difference. So I've gone deep here, a lot deeper than I thought I would on a lot of this, but I think it's so important. I'm the guy that uh, learns best from when I was in school. It was always the page before the questions that gave the examples. It was like, here are the examples on how you do this math problem. Here are the examples of how you do this science problem. I had to follow that example. I wasn't smart enough to figure it myself. So I hope if I give some examples of our business and unique areas in our business, and then also this book, which is another one specific project that, again, will be done in less than a year. It's not me putting everyday bandwidth into it because we've hired and developed and built and connected with the right people to do it. So we can have a big vision. We can have a big project and a big goal if we are willing to invest the time in the people and bring in on the right people, finding the right who's, of finding the right who that will then find the right who's. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss book and that's okay, but that's what it is. And so I want to maybe challenge us to what would it take to write down the big goals and then Put who's next to each one. And if you don't know the who, who can you find to find that right who? So like for us, YouTube is a big strategy in the future. Like, you know, TikTok, a half million followers and Instagram and Facebook all getting up, you know, high, but YouTube only a few subscribers. We haven't built it. And we know that's where most people will find if they search a video on Google. So I'm thinking now, who are some of the best in either outside of our industry, but that's doing something similar with entertainment, maybe a sports team, but probably not maybe in sports, but how are they developing theirs? Who can we talk to in them? Are we willing to collaborate or invest in them consulting to help us get to that next level? So that's some bigger picture. And I'll finish with that bigger vision. And you know, right now as we're building and sharing this, because I want to look back on this in 10 years and say, all right, this is where we were. We're building Banana Land, our stadium here. And we're trying to build a ballpark that's never been even conceived or thought about before. And an amazing ultimate theme park experience that makes baseball fun. And the first step is we invested and hired a designer that we could share Disney, P.T. Barnum, uh, you know, theme park, Cirque du Soleil, Carnival, all that inspiration that could really put it together. And we found a great team in Pendulum Studio. And for six months now, they've been designing. And now we've shared it to our team. And our team's now coming back with ideas. And we're involving them in the, the collaboration. And again, I can't design. I can't do any of that. We have a vision of what it could look like. And then we started putting things in there. And 
you know, this ballpark, there's a lot of things that people haven't seen and I'm excited to share that later and I'll share it and hopefully get more collaboration from there. But that's a big thing. We believe that we can make baseball fun all over the world. First, we need to have a banana land here that people can travel to, they can come to, can see the real where it all started. And then we're going to continue to take that show on the road. And so as soon as I started thinking about that, I reached out to the Globetrotters. I call, I talked to, I got a person that knew the Globetrotters. So someone that I've worked with before, knew uh, the vice president of global development, got a relationship with him, have had numerous conversations with him. Then got connected to the former CEO of the Globetrotters who was with WWE for many years and had a great conversation with him. Then I've reached out to Feld Entertainment, who uh, ran the circus and does Disney on Ice and all of the big tours. They're a multi, multi, multi-million dollar company, but doing tours all over the world. And now I've reached out to them. And again, it's swallowing your ego and saying, you know what? We have a big vision, something we want to do, and we can't do it ourselves. Who's going to help us? And I know as we take this big show on the road, there are going to be people that have done things at much higher levels that we're going to bring on to our team and not be afraid of investing in them because it is the right thing to do. So I want to finish here. I want to just you know go back to, you know Jim Collins said, great vision without great people is irrelevant. It starts with a great vision, but the great people have to be 1A. They have to be as important. And as we build this brand, I just challenge everyone to continue to think about their own brand, their own business, their own division. If they're just a little part of their company, maybe they're not running the company. What's that vision for the company? Who do they need to bring apart? It is so simple, but I don't think it's talked about. And now as we have leadership meetings here and we talk about our next step, we immediately go to who. And you know, ultimately, who is going to be that who that finds people? And we're going to try to, maybe we find one of the best recruiters in the business and we bring them a part of our team. Those are questions that we're going to ask. So again, I love these solo sessions. I hope you found some value. I hope this was useful for you. And I hope we can look back and say, wow, look at the new who's that I've brought on my team over the last year. And look how big our vision has expanded. Look what we have achieved because of the right people on the right bus. So I appreciate you guys. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still. Start standing out.